All right, you are listening to Addicts in Recovery. This is your three favorite hosts on Recovery Talk. I am Zach, and I am an addict. And I am Mike, and I'm an alcoholic. And I am Kevin, I'm an alcoholic. We are here to basically talk recovery. Yeah, that's our mission. Our goal is to spread that uh, positivity that you're not alone, that you can do this. There's hope out there for the addict and, and normies out there that they're is a a better side of this reach out we have plenty of platforms that you can reach us on uh insta mike knows what's up find us on instagram uh addicts recovery a-i-r we're going to be keeping you updated on all of our current episodes and positivity and thoughts and ideas and uh, updates on what we're doing We also want to know what is your feedback? I mean, how do we sound? What do you want to hear or talk about? Um, Do you have any questions or like any specific topics that would, that you want to want us to talk about? Give us some subjects that you want to hear us talk about. Exactly. And then you can find us on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, literally any iTunes, iTunes, any, anything. If it has a podcast, (laughs) we're on it now. You'll find us. Today we have a show about moms, uh, family members. In recovery. Or not in recovery, but uh, family members of people that are in recovery. And so we brought on our friend Cindy, who is a mother of our friend in recovery right now. Uh, so we hope you enjoy the show. So, so you have a son that is in uh, recovery or, or in, that has lived a long life of active addiction. Mm-hmm. So let's start, let's start young. Um, what was it like? Cause none of your other kids are, are in active addiction, right? So, so well, yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. but this, so you got the, we, we got the one and what was it like as, what was he like as a kid? Was he any different than it, than the other kids? Was he any, um, was there anything kind of that like stood out to you. That stood mm-hmm. out to you. Um, yeah, you know, from even the time when he was a little boy, he just had such a tender heart. You know, we couldn't drive down Wall Street because there was when we'd come to Ogden because there was homeless people there, and he always seemed to feel things deeper and took things harder. But he was, uh, you know, he was a he was a great kid honestly I mean he'd fold his dirty laundry to bring it up to me I mean that's how conscientious he was and so um, you know I think that has a lot to do with the way that a person takes things in you think that uh, like an elevated that people that deal with addiction have kind of a heightened feeling like a heightened sense of emotions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what you're saying and so you could see that in him Mm -hmm. but you know he was my first I didn't you know I didn't see it as being anything that would give off red flags Uh but you know of all I would say 95% of the addicts that I have worked with Uh um, are the sweetest men I've ever met or women that I've ever met Um, they just have the kind of hearts that the world isn't very good to the world doesn't know how to treat people. And you're uh, you're talking about the people that you worked with. You are a licensed clinical social worker. Yes. And how, many, how many years have you been doing that for? Well, I've been a social worker for, let's see, for 20, almost 25 years. 
I've had my master's degree in a private practice for the last um, 12 years. So like what, what sparked you to kind of want to go down that avenue? You know, I, um, I always wanted to, uh, I always wanted to help people. Um, do you think it had anything to do with, um, with your son? Like the, I mean, as far as growing up with kind of a heathen, I guess, did that have anything mm-hmm. to do? Do you think that had anything to do with it? No, because, um, you know, I, I've looked back in journals where I talk about wanting to be a counselor and I didn't even know really what that meant, mm-hmm. but I always wanted to be a counselor. Um, I think his addiction is kind of what moved me in the direction that I went. Absolutely. In grad school, um, you know, I took a, a substance abuse domain, and I thought, in fact, I thought before I actually went into practice that I wanted to work with teenagers, and <laughs> that changed rapidly. That quickly changed. You're like, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's just something that I've always been interested in, and I'm really glad that I, you know, that I had that experience, even though I... I really can't say that my education taught me much about addiction and, you know, living with an ind- you know a family member that has addiction. As much as life experience. As much as life experiences, the you, mistakes, the the positive things. You mentioned that you also um, studied in sexual addiction. Yes. And I was just my question is, do you find? I often uh, kind of. Uh, when people, they ask me like about, you know, well, I'm a drug addict. I can't go to AA or that kind of thing. And I always respond to, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all the same chains with different hooks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So is it, do you find there's, you know, similarities? Is it, is it, is it all the same? Well, I think the impact can be different, but addiction is rooted in shame. And we all have some degree of shame. It's, you know, it's how we process it, and it's the traumas that we've experienced. It's not so much the traumas, it's what's the trauma said to us about us. Right. But, you know, the, the coping strategies um, of addicts, they're, they're all the same, irrespective right. of, you know, what it is. Food, sex, drugs. So, so um, the way I take it, the way I've been taught is we deal with the physical addiction first, mm-hmm. and then we, we figure out why we keep going there. Right. So there's, there's still more work to do after the physical addiction oh, absolutely. has been ceased. Well, and people, you know, people that don't do that, yeah, they may go the rest of their life without using, but if they're still living by the same behaviors that they did when they used, they're not going to... Things aren't going to change as far as their relationships go, and so the physical aspect, you know, absolutely is first. And a lot of people will do that. They'll just get sober. They'll just get clean, but they'll continue to use those addictive behaviors, and consequently, their relationships don't change. Right. So I, do you, I believe they call that white knuckling it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or like what? Like, a dry like, addict is what I reference sure. it. Right. Or, or like a cross addiction, mm-hmm. pulling different addictions or behaviors from that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So when growing up, you just, you, as a kid, you just saw Chad as kind of a higher emotional, heightened sense of emotion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, at what age did you start seeing kind of addictive tendencies, traits, I guess? Well, the first, he was, um, he was 13 when I first found out that he was smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. You know, was, he was kind of old. Yeah. Actually, that was, was a pretty well, easy one to figure well, out, too. Like, uh, yeah. Well, I said that's when I figured it out, not when I knew it. You've been hanging out um, in a bowling alley? Yeah. 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 Say, oh, this guy at work, you know, mommy smokes every time when, when we go out on break. And, you know, I'm like, so you so, okay. so you and he's only noticing, 13. And he's only 13. So you started yeah. noticing this behavior of, of mm -hmm. already lying and coming up, mm -hmm. conjuring stories to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you believe him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't I? Um, I didn't, you know. Back then, we didn't even talk about anxiety and depression in kids. Mm -hmm. Nobody, mm -hmm. there was no education, certainly no, you know, no treatment for it, you know. But so, yeah, I, it freaked me out. He went to live with my mother for about six months when he was, let's see, no, he, when he was 13, because I remember that um, that night I went to a choir concert of one of my other kids, and they sang the song Somewhere Out There. Mm. And I remember just sitting there and bawling because, you know, he wasn't with me. He wasn't with us. He wasn't with our family. Wow. Mm. So you, um, that was kind of almost the first affirmative action that you took towards his kind of negative behaviors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um six months at mom's house this is kind of a strong push at grandma's grandma's house, house? yeah yeah and whose choice was that i mean was it it was his really mm -hmm, to go stay with my you know at my parents because um chad's always been really close to my mom and dad and he felt like he wanted to get away that he would get in more trouble if he stayed here with a group of friends so it was more to um you know, to help him rather mm -hmm. than being punitive. So uh, I'm just trying to jump. So his relationship with the children, your, the other siblings at the time, I mean, how was that? Was there any impact on that with like describe oh, I, their relationships, I guess? Absolutely. Because, you know, he was the big brother and, um, boy, I've got some memories of, um, you know, those other five kids, you know, standing on the porch while the police took Chad away in handcuffs and um, or when he overdosed coming home to find them the first time he overdosed but they loved him I mean he was a sweet he was a sweet person still is so one thing I noticed um, especially with my on my in-laws or my wife's side of the family they have their oldest son very similar story Chad when I, I actually went to rehab with your son yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's very similar almost same age they both have a child same age it's, mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. kind of crazy and I have noticed this pattern that my brother-in-law takes up so much attention to, and oh, yeah. clogs up so much of the family and it makes so many of the people and mm -hmm. My wife said the family really upset. Mm -hmm. Did what, you see the same? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because um, they do take up a lot of time, and if he's in, and if he wasn't taking up a lot of time, you know, I was in my bedroom crying or being upset or being depressed, and so 
absolutely it it greatly impacted probably my the two that follow the two children that followed him but my youngest my youngest daughter that's all she's known cuz Chad was on drugs when she was born and so that that is the only Chad that she knows and um yeah, that was a big piece of it, and it's a big piece of what I hear from other parents is, you know, that they're neglecting, emotionally neglecting their other kids because, particularly with moms, because, you know, you're, what is the quote? You're only, a mother is only as happy as her most unhappy child. And you enter in all the fear and the unknown and the lack of, of of knowledge about drugs and it becomes all consuming and they and they feel it i mean now to like today present time i mean is it still do you still feel some of that vibe from your other children as well yes yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't want to you know mm-hmm. they're adults but they have lived this for 25 years you know they've watched the impact that it had on me and um but you know um, slowly but surely, you know, they've, they've come to accept the fact that Chad is an addict and that he may or may not remain sober. Um, but most of them, I would probably say all of my, all of my kids at one point um, stepped away. And it really felt like it was just me because, um, you know, Moms can't give. Moms don't give up. Just, just right. out of curiosity, did 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 any of them, or maybe even you, um, seek help from like Al-Anon or anything? No. Um, boy, he went. You know, he came back home after being at my mom's, and then he went to Arizona to stay with uh, uh, our other. We called him our other parents, and he went to rehab there. Um, and what age was this? What age was this? I think it was fif- he was 15. So it progressed from 13 to 15, smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes to... to smoking d- weed. Smoking okay. Weed. okay. Yeah. And then and at that point in time, he went into to treatment mm-hmm. at 15 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, do you know what kind of like facility it was? I mean, was it like a, like a state-run facility for youth or was no. it, it was a no, private? No, it was a private. Our insurance paid for it. I remember that. Um, then when he was 16, he went again. He went to um, Lakeview Hospital to theirs and came home and started using, well, I went to, he'd borrowed my car two days later, and when I went to clean it out, I found a bong. So, you know, he went right right back to it. So, mm-hmm. going, so going to these treatment centers at this age, he wasn't like, Mom, I want to go. No. It was, it was a more... Forced. It was your going. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, many, not many teenagers want to walk into a treatment center and no. just give up their... Yeah. Well, a lot what, of adults don't either. What was his behaviors? Was he, was he missing school? Was he angry? Was he sleeping all the time? I mean... You know, I, um, everything kind of started to change. You know, Chad went... He went from a young man that honestly took longer to get ready for school than my girls did. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he... He just, everything had to be perfect to a kid that didn't care at all what he looked like and um, getting in trouble um, by, you know, picking up charges, even as a juvenile, going to jail, 
and uh, yeah, that began the roller coaster. At one point, when he had a probation officer, they were, um, you know, back then you couldn't test for all the things that you can now, but weed would show up. So he and his buddies went to acid, because acid didn't show up on drug. Hmm. So it was total. Um, in Chad's life, he has been either in, well, he's been to, I think this was his 10th rehab before he got it. So I, I guess I just wanted to um, kind of draw a picture of, this isn't, it's not some kid just smoking pot and sitting on the couch giggling. I mean, he got in trouble. It was causing problems. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not exactly that you sent him to rehab over a moral dilemma of, Smoking weed. Because I caught him smoking weed. Right. No, he right. was getting in trouble. Um, he was getting trouble at school. He was getting trouble in the law with the law. And, um, you know, I, I think he was getting deeper into things. Right. Because, you know, some people say, well, you know, I smoke pot and, like, I don't feel like I need to go to rehab and I'm, or, you know, I have mm-hmm. an addiction. And I'm like, well, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this obviously was, was causing problem. some problems. Okay. So first time he goes into a treatment facility, uh, 15 years old, what was your initial thought? You know, the thing that I remember the very most about every aspect of this was there was so much fear. So much fear that it wouldn't work, that he wouldn't get sober, um, that he'd come home and use again. And, uh, you know, the fact that he was so far away and I couldn't see him was um, was difficult as well. Did you did you feel it? I mean, being a mother, being a parent, did you feel did you feel that you felt like you were did like you did something wrong to create this? Like people were looking at you a certain way that you're like get you, get a hold of your child. Yeah, yeah, um, I did. You know, I really did because because um, I think there's a false belief that if you caused it, you can fix it. And so I clung tightly to that was because then I could change. You know, I could do this better. I can do that better. And um, so you believe that the I mean, you took what he went through, the, the, the drugs and the kind of the criminal behavior and you put it on yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the, right now, the, the Cindy we're talking to right now what would you say to that behavior, to a parent that's doing that? Um, don't. Just don't, because it isn't about you. Um, it's not about what you do and what you don't do. It's about a choice. You know, it's their choice. Now, we didn't, you know, in our family, there was no abuse. There wasn't a lot of yelling. We had a pretty normal little Mormon family and uh, you know well liked Chad had good friends and so um, and I was struggling with depression that was the bigger piece and so you know that was easy for me to latch on to and say if I wasn't depressed this mm. wouldn't have happened mm. you know if I was a better mother mm-hmm. and part of that you know without going into any real details is that I didn't know but that I was living with another addict as well who had a secret addiction and so um, you know between the two 
I was convinced that it was something that I was doing. Um, something that I was doing wrong. I'd like to ask a question. Go for it. Um, I'd like to ex explore that um, that choice thing that you said. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> is it, 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 at one point, it, it, it was. It was a choice. Right. But right. then it becomes not a choice. Well, I always, you know, I always tell people I, that. I'm not stating that as that's, that's a fact. I'm asking you. No, I think it is. In fact, I tell okay. people that, you know, that say, well, they're choosing to use drugs. It's like, no. They chose to, tr to, to use drugs. The consequence of that choice is that they lose the ability to choose. Um, because, you know... Okay, and I thought that was that was kind of important to bring. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. That's you know that's what I that's what I tell people a, a lot. Right, and I and I try to tell people that ask me questions about mm -hmm. addiction. Um, there's a saying because we all love these sayings. Mm -hmm. um, the <clears throat> um, it's your choice to pick up the first drink, and mm -hmm. then it's the drink's choice all the way after. All that. the way after that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Same cool. kind of. Thank you. Same. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I got a question. Okay. Not that this is like trying to bring up some sort of uh, a regret process or something, but if you could jump back into mm -hmm. then again, not saying it would change anything. With what I know now. What you know now. What advice would you give people that are maybe like having a child that is going through a very similar thing where they catch their child you know, drinking or smoking mm -hmm. cigarettes or getting expelled from school because they did something, you know, mm -hmm. what would you say to yourself? Well, I, I would, you know, right or wrong, this is what I often tell parents, you know, when they come in and they got a 15-year-old that's, you know, they found out has been using drugs and they're going to ship him off to rehab. I tell them, save your money. Mm. Save your money. I love that. I, I do. Save your money because, like I said, you know, we, we put him in, you know, every rehab that we could when he was using, but he didn't want to. We made him go. And so the minute he was out, he just picked up where he, where he left off. And, and so and probably carried some resentment towards you. Oh, absolutely. Just, absolutely. Oh, because yeah. it was a matter of you're going to rehab. Um. As far as so, not not even from a from a clinical standpoint, um, but from, from more of a mother standpoint, uh, you you saw you know now um, that you you might as well have let him kind of be the the hoodlum that he was, and either let him run himself out or let mm -hmm. the law run himself out mm -hmm. instead mm -hmm. of wasting the time, the money, and the energy on sending him, regularly sending him to treatment centers at mm -hmm. such a young age. Mm -hmm. And therapists, you know. Um, um, they don't, if, you know, he didn't want it. He didn't want it. And in the end, um, my... Uh, my dad used to always tell me a story, tell me this, and he had dementia towards the end, and so I heard this more times than I ever. <laughs> I have it memor I mean, you know, I did. And every time, you know, my mother would be rolling her eyes like, oh, my gosh, you're telling that again. But, and, and with an Alzheimer's patient, the worst thing you can do is tell them you just said that. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> dad, you told me that story yeah, you already. You don't say that. No, you don't. <laughs> Plus, you know, but what he told me... Um, 
when I would go to him because of my, you know, my concerns about Chad. And it's going to sound really simple, but he said, Cindy, the only thing you can do is love him and make sure that he knows you love him. Mm. And in the end, and with Chad's willingness, that was really what brought it about. Now, you know, we have to have to address the whole issue of codependency. Mm. Because, boy, if you looked it up in the dictionary back then, I guarantee you my face would have been plastered all over the place. (laughs) Really? Oh, absolutely. How how so? A lot of people that are going to be listening to this podcast probably don't know what codependency is. So uh, what's the kind of the, I guess, your clinical... um, uh, definition? Not mm-hmm. definition, but just kind of summary. There we go. Mm-hmm. What's your clinical mm-hmm. summary of, of what codependency is and looks like? Well, another, another name that it's called is co-addict. Mm. Because you become addicted to the addict. You become addicted to the child. To stopping him from using. To, you know, um, trying to catch him. So it becomes I mean, obsessive. Absolutely. Yeah, obsessive. You know, and so your life becomes as consumed as the addict does, only it's with the addict. And, you know, codependency really gets a bad name. Um, You know, people hate when you say that. But in all honesty, um, codependency is how many people survive living with an addict. They need it. They Mm -hmm. need that. The problem that develops is when you no longer need it, but you continue to use it in your relationships. That's when codependency. And I used to get, oh, I, I, oh I'm embarrassed of some of the crazy things <laughs> that I've done. Um, you know, the first time I, I, I think it was the first time, I don't know, I must have found out something because I got in my car. Now, remember, I'm this naive little Mormon mother. <laughs> and I was so angry that I drove around to find where his friends were um, hanging out, you know, on the street, and I'd roll down my window and I'd go, <laughs> I'd just flip them off. Just flip them off. She's using the finger. Like yeah, that. I'm using the finger. <laughs> if right, I was hanging yeah. out with your son, I'd be like, I'm not yeah, going over there. Exactly. Well, and you know what? They were. Dude, s- is that your mom? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I think his friends were scared of me. Um, yeah, I'd be terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, so, so again driven by again driven by that fear, you know, and when you know when you're you're fearful for the life of your child, you do some crazy, crazy stuff, and I did. I hid under a truck for an hour. Um, All right, tell us the background behind okay. that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, are you really going to stop right this, there? No, like, yeah. this is this is probably one of my most infamous ones. Well, there's a couple I'll I'll share, but this particular night he was working at Arby's, and um, I didn't tr- I didn't believe that he would leave when he said he would, so I was going to catch him. I wasn't going to let him know I was catching him, but I was going to have the truth, and I was going to be waiting with it when I got when he got home, so. Um, there was a across the across the gravel road. It was a gravel road. There was um, it was Vesco's. It was a I don't know, motorcycle place, whatever. But there was a, a truck with a trailer bed, and I was just sitting on the trailer bed, watching. It was dark, 
when all of a sudden he and his buddies come out to the front and sit on the table out there and start smoking. Well, I heard one of them say, dude, is that, is that somebody over there? <laughs> and I thought, oh, shit. Yeah. So I rolled, I rolled off, the, off the trailer, and I hid underneath it in the gravel. Did they watch you roll off no, the trailer? No, oh. they never knew I was like, there. Oh, they probably did. <laughs> just and, they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they were scared and they left. No, they didn't. They didn't. And that was the irony of it was they sat out there for an hour. And here I am stuck under this truck. It's cold, you know, gravel all over. And they sat out there and smoked for an hour. And, and so it kind of, you know, but you know what? That's what you do. But it becomes it becomes obsessive. Like I'm it saying, so obsessive. at this point, you're look you're you're focused yeah. so on Chad, and you have five other kids at home, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it's taking over your life. It's taking it, over you. It does, you know. Especially back then, um, you know what was? <laughs> I tapped my phones. Back then, you could get this recorder from. Damn, she should be a CIA. Man. Man. <laughs> from this Radio is, Shack that that recorded your phone because I wanted to know where he was going and you know so I could catch him well I didn't know anything about drugs okay but I hear him say (laughs) I'm so ready for this (laughs) (laughs) so I hear him say yeah bring me a dime's worth Mm. bring me a dime so he's sitting out there I, I go storming out there and he's sitting out there on the porch yeah. waiting for his buddy. So I throw a quarter at him. Oh, no. And I said, here, get a quarter's worth. Because <laughs> I thought he was talking about 10 cents. Yeah, oh, no. yeah, yeah, I did. Wow. I've come a long way. <laughs> Haven't I? <laughs> Haven't I come a long way? At that point, did he realize that you had hurt him? Or did he just think you were a crazy person? He just, <laughs> he just thought I was crazy. Because oh. I was. Oh. There was many times that I was. Um, but yeah, those are some of the, you know, the, my infamous ones. So I got a question for you. Um, let's talk about the good. Let's talk about positive things that you were doing and you notice positive changes in Chad, like good times with maybe something you did or you acted different or you're showing like what you said of what your father, mm-hmm. the advice of giving him love. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of that of maybe where you could see some of that good where you, you wish that you, you could... That I couldn't. Yeah. I wish that I couldn't see the good in him because I knew it. I knew it was there. And so that was an easy way for, you know, for me to make excuses for him, to justify for him because I believed in him and I wanted to believe in him um, because, you know, part of this and, and you know, I'm owning this because I see it in a lot of other individuals, particularly mothers. When you're, you know, when there are, when there is emotional absence in your marriage, oftentimes you turn to your oldest child, son, to meet those emotional needs. Now, I don't mean, you know, anything that's, you know, scanty or anything, but just to feel that closeness, to have somebody to listen to you and talk to you. And that's what happened with Chad and I. You know, we had kind of an enmeshed relationship. And um, Do you think he took some of that on himself? Oh, absolutely. I know he did. 
I know he did, um, to worry about me. Plus, I was talking to him about adult things, and he was a kid. And, uh, you know, I think when he's heard this, he denies it, but there was. There was. He was too tied to my apron, spring, apron strings. Um, and I didn't know why, because, like I said, I, I didn't know about the other addiction that was going on in our family. And so Chad was kind of my go-to person, and he kind of shouldered that responsibility. And, um, you know, I don't want to say that I blame myself, but I think that played a part. I think that played a part, you know, that um, having that, re feeling that responsibility when you're already so tenderhearted. Um, I own that part that I think contributed, you know, to his um, self-medicating or whatever. Um, but the hardest, the hardest part, you know, for a mother is that to do the right thing for your child it goes against every in every god-given instinct that you have as a mother to protect to nurture to you know support to love and you can't do any of those things when you're living with an addict um i i'm i kind of deviated from your question no. but positive things and uh like i said i you know so when you would start doing those things, though, you started noticing your relationship with him better, though. Um, um, no. It, no? You know, it, originally, it was, um, oh, it was originally enabling because I, you know, I couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. I remember, when, I remember sitting in a therapist's office and him saying to me, talking to him about Chad, and him saying to me, Cindy, you're going to have to let go. And I remember it literally felt like a knife went through my heart. And I looked at him and I said, I can't. Mm. I can't. And this is a, say, what age was he when? 16. Okay. So this is right after he, he mm -hmm. started going uh, into treatment facilities, mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So this kind of goes back to a question that I, if we can kind of go back first, just a second. Yeah, and then I want to I answer <laughs> no, not Just now. Go no, go ahead. <laughs> um, so I, I, you were talking about um, if about people saving their money for mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. about him going into you said like ten treatment centers and all kind of uh, counselors and therapists, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to what like. You know, your your you said your father was telling you about, um, you know, basically be there, just be there for him. Mm -hmm. Let him know that he's loved. You are an open door. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, do you feel that that the the centers that he went to and the um, the therapists and stuff um, at least maybe you know staved off death? I, I mean. As opposed to what? Let him, letting him hit rock bottom on his own? Well, um, it was probably to try to save him, you know? Um, he had some good therapists. He had one that really, um, that Chad loved. But as I look back now, um, 
he wasn't. He wasn't good. But what, what but I, I guess my question is, is, is if, is if, 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 if you hadn't, if, if you had chosen, you know, to save your money and not, mm-hmm. not send him mm-hmm. to all those treatment centers, what, what would you have done? That's a way better way to rephrase that question. Yeah. yeah. Could, you, could you rephrase it for me? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was perfect. That was perfect. You, yeah. yeah, the first one was super confusing. Oh, okay. Um, you know what? I would, I would have him in counseling, um, if nothing else, so that he could learn tools. Um, and and you got to remember, too, at that point in time, it depends to the degree to which the addiction is. At that time, you know, he was just using weed, but weed scared me. Because, you know, back then it was the real push of it's the gateway drug. Right. Um, it's the devil's lettuce. It's the devil's <laughs> There you go. I've never heard that. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I love that one. Yeah. But, it, but it, you... It's on um, a t-shirt. Oh, you know, I look back and like I said, I was crazy. I did some crazy shit. <laughs> trying to control him. Trying to... Because that's what it, you know, that's what it boils down to, um, is that, you know, in order to cope with my fear, and this is true with most, um, rather than deal with it, we try to control the other person. And it doesn't work. It mm. never works. And, mm. um, and that's where that codependency thing That's where in. the codependency thing. And, and you know... Going back to, you know, what would you tell them? And even as I tell, you know, young parents this, I know they can't do it. I know they can't because you have to go through a process. I had to go through a process that was really my rock bottom. Um, and so to say, you know, this is what you should do. And, and what I tell people is all that energy that you are putting into your child, you need to put it into you. You need to put it in to strengthen you. You know, I call self-care like an armor. Um, just because you do it doesn't mean that, you know, the darts aren't going to hit you and the pains aren't going to hit you, but they're not going to penetrate you. And you can, you know, you survive it. But it's too hard to do. If I could have told myself back then, I wouldn't have been able to You'd do like, it. Screw you. I would have been yeah. like, you're like, but you don't understand. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> Well, see, because I, I noticed that same pattern with my mother-in-law. She almost makes like these, I almost call them like micro goals. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I could see him. He just needs to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, he yeah. Needs, and he needs to, if he does this, then that is the answer. And if he gets to there, then it's like, then you hear all these stories and like, you know, all the siblings in the family were just like, we don't want to hear it. We're over it. We don't, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's not that mother-child bond. It's a sibling saying this is so self-consuming and I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. And, and honestly, and understandably that's where all my kids got to the got to a point with because they were tired of being hurt and they were tired of watching me be hurt every time Mm. he relapsed and used again and they're sitting there going mom come on you knew this was going to happen mom come on you knew you know this over and over again again. well you you see the phone number and you're jumping to it and oh yeah and chad was not a nice addict he could go after me like oh and, I, you know, I didn't have the skills then to understand or to when he was younger, you know. Oh, so when he was 
younger and you were going through he's going through these treatment centers and you're you almost uh have i mean you are going through your own kind of addiction and obsession and all of these things are 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 going back and forth um what was i guess what was kind of um how long did it take until you hit a point where you were like this is where I need to, I need to change something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't find that point. So like Mike was saying about the, the mother-in-law, right? Is she, she'll, she hasn't hit that point of, I just, just take it. I can't, I, I have nothing to do with this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what, at how long did you go with the hiding under trailers and, and, constantly thinking and worrying and mm. you know getting hurt all the time and like how long how long was that process before you kind of decided to make a change before I got you mean like before I got stronger and more yeah you know it's it's really hard to question because you get better at it you know you lose some of the crazies but as far as the letting go piece that takes a lot you know you talk about a rock bottom for the addict I had to hit a rock bottom too. And what? And as parents, what was your rock bottom? Um, if you have, if you can put it into words, when um, it's probably two years ago, and um, two years ago, well, so I well, mean, not completely. I mean, this isn't a kind of an all or nothing thing. Uh-huh. Chad lived in Arizona for a long time. And it was really easy for me then to not think about it, to not let it consume my life um, until he got in a lot of trouble again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a progression. But um, two years ago, um, I got really, really sick. And uh, my, you know, Chad and I shared the same physician. And he had given her permission to talk to me. And she had told me, if Chad does not stop using, he's going to be dead in three months. And, you know, I took that to heart because I'm thinking, there's no money. I don't have any money to get him help. You know, I can't do it. And uh, I got really sick one day with a migraine. And my doctor even had to drive me home. And she said to me, Cindy, the, the only thing, because I could, I could detach you know, I could do that fairly easily. Yeah. By this time, you're a trained clinician. I mean, yeah. you, you oh, yeah. know all of the steps it takes mm-hmm. to detach. Mm-hmm. But then again, and you're like, not again. I right. don't want to go through this again. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Every time. Every time. Okay. Keep going. And um, she said to me, Cindy, the only thing that Chad has never had to do without is your emotional support. You've cut off money. You've cut off, not, you know, I w- I'd go for months and I'd tell him, as long as you're using, you're not welcome in my life. And then, you know, I'll, you know he'd, he'd get himself together and back in my life again. But um, that made a lot of sense to me because she said, Chad has lost everything, um, but he's never lost your emotional support. And she said, you need for your own health. You need to you need to let that go, and I did, 
And it was more than just saying, um, you know, welcome in my house or you can't be here if you're using. It was that I had to completely withdraw. Um, you know, when I, I call it a gentle detachment. It's where you're supportive and you're understanding and you're kind, but you don't engage your heart. And that's probably what saved me until he continued to just be really, really off the hook, um, you know, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the meth. And um, when she told me that, um, she told me that on several occasions. But this time, um, she, had, she had just barely seen him. And, you know, she said to me, Cindy, he's not going to live. He's not going to survive this if he doesn't quit. And at that point, my thought became, okay, Chad's not going to quit. You know, he, he's not going to quit. I'm not going to spend the last few months of his life not loving him. And wow. so everything, you know, the walls went down. I, um, you know, sorry. You're good. <laughs> no, that's, you're all right. It's real. Mm-hmm. But I did. I made that conscious decision was that if I was going to bury him, I was not going to spend the last three months or however of his life not loving him. And that was for me. It was for him too, but it was mostly for me because that wasn't how I wanted things to end. And, uh, and that's where the loving part could come in. You know, I'm going to love you. You're going to know that I love you with your last breath. And um, I don't know that it was that, um, but, you know, his, um, his attitude started to shift, and he became more open about wanting to get help, wanting rehab. And, um, you know, that's when he went to Brighton and that's when things started to change that's like what 30 years of of in and out of treatment active abuse um, in and out of jail in and out of jail I mean mm -hmm. I've heard some of his stories I just imagining Crazy. being his mother uh, all of this this trauma and this pain and to come to this point where somebody says you have to detach mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and so you do only to realize because uh johan hari the guy that talks about connection mm -hmm. uh he says he he firmly believes that you're not supposed to detach from someone mm -hmm. um that you're supposed to keep the connection there mm -hmm. but when we when we look at like rock bottoms, we, we talk about how you have to, you have to let them go. You have to not enable, you have to, mm -hmm. um, were you walking a fine line then? Like, I mean, as far as I'm not, I'm, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to make sure that you know that I love you, but I'm not going to enable you. And I'm still going to have these strong boundaries and mm -hmm. I'm still going to be protecting myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Tough mm -hmm. love. So Tough to love. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Even though I hate that, I hate, hate that, that expression. I do. It's kind of an unPC <laughs> yeah. expression yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Tough love. What What's tough love? 
Do you beat the shit out of them? Do you, you know, <laughs> spank do you them. spank them? Do you call them names? What What is tough love? It's a really good point. So do you do you feel that the detachment? Um, I wouldn't. I don't, I don't know. I would have a, a hard time believing um, that you detached love from him at some point. I mean, uh, that's not what you're saying. That's not healthy. That's as unhealthy as enabling. You know, that falls into that um, all or nothing. And I just, you know, this may be my, my own, just from my own experience and whatnot, but I don't believe that you can ever stop loving a child. You know, circumstances can be such that they can't be a part of your life because they're, you know, because they're toxic or whatnot, but to ever... There were times that I wished I could just not care. Mm. Just it was because so much easier. It would have been so much easier, and the, and the pain would not have been as intense as it was. And I could get mad for a day, you know. I could go to the mad side, but I'd always return to that, you know, the, ten, you know, the tenderness and the love. And uh, I don't think either one of you, either person, can survive with that. Mm. So, we had in a couple, the absence of that, we had a couple questions. Kevin, did you have a question? Nothing, nothing huge. I, I, I just, I guess it kind of reaffirms, it and and you make me feel better when, when, uh, when I go, oh, I, I get it. Like I've, I've learned <laughs> something, you know, like because I, I've always, um, I, I've always equated, sort of my my own recovery with, um, the, the, I can't remember what you call those things, but where you're on a plane and you're going down and the, 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 the pilot says, you, you know, put, put the mask on your face first before yeah. you put it on your kids. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm getting out of it. That's kind of what you needed to do. You're it, not, it, you're not going to yeah. save him with just love or enabling no. or, no. you know, all my children, you need to breathe and you need to live. And then you're all dead because you didn't right. put the mask put the on mask yourself on. first. Mm-hmm. So you, you needed to, to, withdraw and make yourself stronger Mm -hmm. so that he had somebody that had the knowledge and the strength Mm -hmm. and the um the wherewithal that that he could come to you and you would give him the proper support rather than giving all of your energy uh to him Mm -hmm. which was going into drugs even though you you had good intentions and and it was love and but 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 ultimately you were you were enabling Enabling, him absolutely on you know unconsciously of Mm -hmm. course unwittingly and um your doctor gave you that advice that you need to let go you need to put this energy in yourself mm-hmm. and you know i equate with that with you know put the mask on yourself first that way they yeah. have someone to, to be able to help them to help so them that they can live or else you're all dead and exactly exactly then then you know nobody's there nobody's you know nobody's left standing but that's a great you know that's a great analogy because that you know um if you don't take care of yourself and um you're not there i mean i went through breast cancer through in the middle of all of this and uh during that time i i had to step back from chad because 
if I didn't stay positive, um, the, you know, that's the first thing they told me is you've got to stay positive. And so I, I eliminated people from my life that brought in negativity and drama. And that happened to be two of my children. Now, did I still speak with them? Yeah, yeah, I did. And, um, and loved them, but they, they weren't a part. They weren't a part of my life during that point, like, like, you know, like normally it would be. Because if I, you know, if I had stayed where I was at, I don't, you know, I don't know that I would have survived, survived the cancer because, you know, it was, um, it was just that bad. It was just that painful and that, um, I think, and, and if I were to hope of anything to come out of this to a parent that listens, is that you, you really believe that you're the only one going through this and you think you're crazy. But then you, hear other, then you hear other parents saying the very same things, and all of a sudden, you're not so alone, and you're not so crazy. And um, you have a support system, even if just knowing that what you're going through is typical, not normal, but it's typical of individuals who have a loved one that's you know, battling drugs. But if I, you know, the reason, you know, when my doctor told me that, the reason that I kind of made that, um, you know, I just, I told him, I can't, this is, it's gone to the point that it's not just affecting me emotionally, but physically, and I can't, I can't do that. Um, that's when I, I mean, that was, that was when I started taking care of myself. And if I could go back, um, I would do it, what, oh, sorry, I am. Um, I would do my best to take care of myself. Like I said, you know, there's a process that parents go through too. We have to hit our rock bottom and we have to get to a point where if we're gonna survive, we have to do that gentle detachment. And that's a really, really painful, hard place to be at. So I wanna ask you a question, kind of explore this. We haven't really talked about this. Um, you and your husband at the time mm -hmm. and like, all of this process even today like to maybe describe some of that and kind of talk about that were you guys on the same side were you was there a lot of like was chad bouncing back and forth where he was getting advice from you or getting less advice from your is it your ex-husband mm -hmm. yes okay mm -hmm. i mean what was that like for chad and for you and for your ex-husband as well because a lot of people have similar stories where they're, you know, dealing with the parents that have had like this divorce aspect of it, and then not as well. But maybe the parents are still together and they're not on the same side or the same team. And, and you know a what? Lot I see that a lot. It's like one person can do that gentle detachment, and the other one can't. And then you start sneaking, you know, again that addictive behavior. You know, you start lying about how much groceries cost because you gave them twenty bucks even though the other parent had said no. Um, and that, that alone right there just you know, kills the trust. So maybe talk about what, what specifically we you, yeah. Well, that's, really, that's a really hard question because um, my husband was an addict too. It was just a, it was a secret. And you know, during this time that things, Chad really started to circle the drain, he was getting deeper and deeper into his addiction. And, you know, you have to, you have to understand that, you know, the addict, 
either, regardless of who it is. Um, they have to make you responsible. They have to make you responsible for everything. Because, you know, no one will look, no one will, you know, no one will consider. And in desperation to be able to fix it, sometimes you latch on to it. Like I said earlier, okay, if it's my fault, then I can fix it. If I did this, I can fix it. And so um, I was already in that state unknowingly of being blamed for everything and taking on that responsibility because, you know, even if you don't know there's an addiction in your home, even if it's a complete secret, the behaviors are there and everyone is affected by the behaviors. Mm. You know, even if you don't know. And uh, that was kind of the case, so that's kind of a hard question. But yeah, we were often at, and, and, to, and still to this day, it's a struggle. Because, um, it, you know, his dad still battles his addiction. Um, his dad is like Chad in that he has a, he has a very good heart. But, you know, his addiction has run his life and... You know, his, his, he has a total different attitude about it. Chad, he and Chad, I think, communicated better on a level. And that always bothered me because I thought, but wait a minute, I'm the one here. I'm the one still standing. But what I realized is they were both addicts. Mm. So they knew each other's language. I didn't know his language. Mm. And so, you know, there was a different, probably even on a lot of respects, a closer relationship because they were both addicts. And, uh, you know, I think that's really, I think that's really good because when I was, when I was younger and I was always using, I didn't really have a great relationship with my dad, but he could see right through my bullshit mm-hmm. because I spoke the exact mm-hmm. same language mm-hmm. while my mom, on the other hand, I could, I always had the wool pulled over her eyes consistently oh, yeah. because she, she didn't, she didn't live it. She, yeah, she did not exactly. go through the, the, the cycle. And so that's really, that probably really had to be a struggle to try and, and, and find that. Cause a lot of, a lot of people when they, um, when they live with an addict or when they, when they run into an addict, they think I, I, there's just these in, immediate thoughts of why don't you just stop doing this? Or why don't you, yeah. um, and, and in reality, it takes, a, a, for a lot of people, it takes an addict or it takes someone to mm-hmm. go through their mm-hmm. own throes of addiction mm-hmm. to understand really what's going on in their head. And to speak the same language. Yeah. Chad and I didn't speak the same language. Um, you know, I, I don't think that we still do in a lot of ways because I've never been addicted. I've never been. Well, you've had your own obsession. I mean, oh, yeah. the way that you... Oh, I, I shouldn't say I haven't been addicted because I have yeah, I've been addicted I was gonna to my say, son. I mean, not a lot of... like Just the trailer story shows because people, with, people who struggle with addiction or with obsession go mm-hmm. to great lengths to ease mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, th- I think that you had to go through that process to get to where you're Abs- more absolutely. understanding. Absolutely. And, you know... Um, one of the hardest things for me when I'm working with parents of addicts, of kids, is to be giving them the advice and the counsel, knowing that they can't do it. 
They haven't been through enough of the process to be at that place that they can do it. They can make stabs at it. They can try, but they can't do it until you go through your own process of getting so tired of hurting, um, so tired of losing other relationships because they can't stand to see your pain anymore. And so um, that's, that's really hard because I know, you know, I've got 25 years experience with this, so I know from a parent as well as a clinician the answers. But, but as a parent, I also know that you can't do it, that there's certain things you have to go through. You have to hit your rock bottom, whatever that is, before you can you know, look at yourself and say, um, you know, I need to detach, or I've got to stop giving him money, or I've got to stop doing this, um, because that love is still, is, you know, is so paramount and so driving, because I can't speak for fathers, but I know as a mother, you know, the big question often is, is why can't I love him enough? Why can't I love him enough to make him stop? Mm. And, um, you know, so it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. Well, it's hard, especially, I mean, before I had kids, I was very much a, uh, give advice type of a person where I would say, oh yeah, you know, that's a problem in your relationship or that's a problem with your child, you know, just, just fix it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's so insane when you actually have your own child. Like I remember when that would be my, at least my closest experience, I would say to like a, like a God presence mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. holding my child and watching that whole process take place. Mm-hmm. And when I actually, and the change of your own heart. Absolutely. And I was holding him and I just thought to myself, I would, I literally would do anything for him. And I've just met him. Mm-hmm. Like 10 seconds ago, I would die for him right the mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. And it was just so powerful. So mm-hmm. my mind changed when I started seeing that in other people when they go to these great lengths and great depths mm-hmm. of just, you're just like, you did what? You drove where? You gave how much money again? You took him to another rehab and it's like, it's just the... You paid his rent? Right. Again? And hearing all the outsiders just criticize the parents and it's It's, it's so, lonely. Yeah, I'll, mm. I'll tell you. Um, in fact, um, another therapist that I um, that I work with and that I've worked a lot with in the past, I was telling. He asked me about Chad. He has a daughter that he's been through the same things with, and um, he was so excited and he was so happy. And usually, you don't get that from people because they're thinking, you know, well, hopefully, hopefully he can hang on to it. But it was so refreshing. I mean, it, it, it was so refreshing to have somebody share my joy mm. at Chad's sobriety, no matter how long, it, you know, irrespective of it's going to last. Because when, as a parent, when you get to that point um, where you can do the things that you need to do, um, it can become very lonely because everybody else reaches that point. Like I mentioned with my own kids, they were tired of seeing me hurt. And they were tired of him, you know, coming in and out. And so, you know, towards the end, I, you know, I can honestly say that um, I don't know. That was a loneliness that I don't think I've ever experienced before. And I've been single and by myself for a lot of years. Um, And so to have somebody share my joy just by saying, oh, my gosh, that's awesome, 
rather than just kind of nodding their head, which I get a lot. I, I do get, that all the I time. get a lot. I'm like, hope they can keep it. I know. I know. I think that too. <laughs> you know, I think that sometimes too. And I'm thinking, oh, you know what? This isn't, this isn't, you know, this is your first rodeo. But it's, it is. And he, you know, he shared that, that, you know, it's, it becomes very lonely when you're the last man standing. So we had a we had a pause for a minute. My wife actually chimed in. Well, yeah. I think we should talk about that because okay. I thought it was Let's a very very. Let's do it. <clears throat> I was going to ask if you weren't going to. No, I think we should. So, <laughs> so my wife asked uh, you a question, and uh, obviously, in the state of Utah, there's a very high activity rate of um, Mormon, but not mm-hmm. just talking about Mormon religion, but just religion and as a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that have when they see their children kind of making mistakes, you're very down looked on in the neighborhood. You kind of hide, mm-hmm. at least from what I saw growing up in a very, very high dense, mm-hmm. it's like you kind of shy and hide your kids away a little bit and you're very uh, cautious about that. But your uh, answer to the resolution of, of the fix is they just need to go to church. They just need religion. They just need to, yeah, yeah. And, um, Probably when I was young, when I was a young mom, and hadn't had the experiences that I had, had you know, have been through with Chad, I probably would have said. I mean, people would say that to me. My parents would say to me, you know, honey, he just needs the gospel. Mm-hmm. He just needs the gospel. <laughs> it's so funny hearing that. Yeah, yeah. Because have you heard it? Have you? I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying. I, I don't. I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all. Um, that's the last thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a good, healthy lifestyle. But for me, what they need is a connection to a higher power, be it God, be it whatever. And that, that advice goes for, you know, the parent, too. You have to have a connection to a higher power, somebody that's bigger and greater than you. Otherwise, there's no hope, and you lose hope during this process, and... Uh, Things don't end up well. And, you know, over the years, I've had... Hope is kind of my... Mon- my been my... Is it mantra? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have... You know, I've always been able to have hope. But I've also always worked... Pri- I mean, on my own with my relationship to the higher power. And honestly, um, if Chad can stay sober and be able to accomplish the goals that he has for himself and for other people. I don't care if he never goes to church again. That, you know, um, it's surface level. Almost. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's surface. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a luxury mm-hmm. thing rather mm-hmm. than a, rather mm-hmm. than a necessity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like today when we were talking earlier and we were talking about going off sugar. Mm. And I had said to you, you know, Chad's trying to go off sugar. And your first response was, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> he shouldn't Kick be going off anything. Yeah. He shouldn't be going off anything except, except staying sober. And, you know, you can say that, too, is that, yeah, I mean, you know, regardless of your religion, if you are unable to connect emotionally, how do you experience God? Mm. How do you experience and how do you have faith that there is somebody bigger than you that knows more than you that you can lean on in those weak moments? 
but even just the as like silly as the whole sugar thing, this is Chad also dealing with himself. This mm-hmm. is what this is a need that he's coming up with mm-hmm. for him, mm-hmm. and it's working for him. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Chad for a second. <clears throat> how how where is he at right now with this? Yeah, we we need to we need to end the story. We stopped okay. it two years ago. Okay, and <laughs> we, and let's let's put in perspective the timeline. So you said he started when he was about. 13. Mm-hmm. And how old is Chad now? He's 40. He'll be 41 in December. Well, when I see him, I'm going to make fun of him for that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, you can make fun of his age, not mine. Okay. <laughs> Deal. Where is Chad now? Mm-hmm. And you know, I always, I hesitate because you guys know more about Chad than I do. <laughs> and, and you know, Probably. I might be saying, oh, he, you know, he's, you know, he's done this, this, and the other. And you guys are thinking... Um, maybe. <laughs> so well, I can he, only say from my perspective and my experience, he is doing things that I never thought he would do. I mean, Chad, and I'm, go but, to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and yeah. want to. And want, want to. to. Yeah. No, because this, th- and I think this is what was different this third time because I probably should mention he went to inpatient three times just in the last year in the last year okay within you know a couple of months of each other um he himself checked himself in and then told me that he had relapsed so it was all him the biggest thing that I that I notice with Chad is the humility Mm. he's never had the humility he's always thought he knew more he knew better. He knew himself better. But he has such a humility now that, you know, it, it blows me away. See, I, the, the first time I, I just want to add this part into it because it kind of, we, we show this huge gap of Chad, but like people think, well, may, maybe he's just been into drugs his entire life and everything. But so I, I go into rehab and he was the first person I met. And I, and I talked to him and I, and I was scared because it's the first time I've ever admitted to myself that I have a, you know, an alcohol problem. And he, you know, came to me and, and started talking to me and just says, you know, you, you got this. I've, and gave me a lot of support. But two days later, I, he, he asked me if I could proofread his uh, biography. And it's just a quick page and a half so he can basically share every, about him mm-hmm. in front of everybody that's there as a patient. And he asked me to proofread it. And I read it and I was like, completely blown away by him i mean talented kid so talented with baseball with you know his ability to golf you know musician now he'd argue with you on the whole golf well i golfed with him on rehab we went golfing he's pretty good (laughs) he's better yes he just doesn't play better than me but (laughs) we we played in a hellstorm out there but um has a degree in english at Mm -hmm. you know at a very high university did Mm -hmm. that i mean Mm -hmm. i it's not just stuff that he he just was just doing drugs. I mean, he's really talented. He is. He's talented. He's gifted. He's intelligent. Very intuitive um, um, to other people's feelings. And um, he's a great person. And you know, being able to experience that in him has been has made it all worth it. As he's been sober. Um, and doing things that he never would have done before, you know, and wanting to, you know, turning down fun things because, oh, I got a meeting at seven. Wow. Sometimes I think, wow. 
who are you and where's my son? <laughs> it must be so heartening for you just to hear those words. It is. And those are, I'm seeing things that I have never seen in Chad before as far as recovery goes. I mean, I've always known his heart. And um, in fact, I don't, I don't know if any of you are there, but you know, one of the things that I had always struggled with because he and his dad share the same language, you know, and have that bond. You know, I often, you know, would question, well, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? How am I helping? And um, I happened to attend his coin. Is that what it's called? Coin, the, coin, coin in. The coin in, the last time when he left rehab. And uh, as everybody was going around the room and they were saying such wonderful things about him, that that I've always seen um, that he hasn't been able, you know, that the addiction, his addiction has kept him away from. But it, as each one of them went through and, uh, you know, everything was wrapped up, I sat there for a minute and I thought, and I don't say this to toot my own horn, I really don't. But um, I realized that everything that people were saying about Chad were things I've heard people say about me. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the icing on the cake to realize that, you know, with all the, you know, oh my gosh, all the things that I, the craziness and all the, you know, constantly, you know, being right on top of things, um, that he, he, the things that are most important to me, other people saw in him. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I need to say to parents, too, there, that, you know, this, this experience has been excruciatingly painful. Um, unless you, it's one of those things that unless you've been through it, you don't know. But I don't think about those. Those are my memories of Chad. Do I remember some of them? Yeah, I do. But most of my memories of Chad growing up are the good things that he did. You know, paying a little girl $10 for a, a doll she was selling when all she wanted was a dollar. You know, giving people money when he didn't have it himself. And so, you know, I think the greatest thing to know is that there is always hope. As long as you're drawing breath and they're drawing breath, breath there's always hope. And you have to cling to that. And, uh, you know, it's what will keep you going on a night that you feel like will never end. Is that hope. You have to have that. And you have to know that um, these won't be your memories. You know, Chad's 40 years old. And uh, I feel like for the first time I'm experiencing my son. And I'm so proud of who he is. And that's, if I can say that, because um, Chad's been in some really bad places. Anybody can. And it's a wonderful place to be in, irrespective of how long it takes. You have to hang on to that hope, no matter how long and how hard the road is. You know, hope has to go before you. 
Well, and to kind of run full circle and that you're doing, you're taking the advice from your father too. Yeah. Cause <laughs> in the end, you know what? Um, if I, I don't know, Chad, if I had kept that distant, you know, that cut off cause Chad never liked that, you know, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Chad would have, um, would have even gone to rehab. Wow. And so, you know, I, I firmly believe that, you know, that advice that my dad always gave me was true. Um, you know, you, you have to have boundaries, and there's times that you have to do that gentle detachment, but that's for you. You remove the feeling part of it to protect yourself, but you don't remove the love and the support. Man, what an incredible story. Uh, We're running out of time, but the level of of vulnerability that you had just coming in here and sharing that um, and sharing all of your experiences through being a parent um, and really in this, I mean, this really never ending just back and forth for mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. and to hang to hang on and to persevere through it all is just so incredible. Thank you. And the story that you have that you shared with us is just so, is so profound. This is easily like one of the best podcasts that we've yeah. done so oh. far. It's so good. <laughs> um, so I just want to, I really, I really want to thank you. And thank you're you the first, you. uh, you're the first woman on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, really? Right? We've been, yeah. we've been overloaded with just this man. Toxic man. masculinity. Toxic, yeah. 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 So yeah. we're bringing. Yeah. My, my mom, uh, she reminds me a lot of you. Just very soft spoken lady. My, my, my mom said, Oh, when, I'm not soft spoken. Well, you sound like it here, but <laughs> yeah. my, mom's, I, my mom's not too. I'm saying she, she comes out yeah, way, but she's like yeah. a high school teacher can just, you know. Someone but. once described me as being, you know, tough and tender. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much a, a good definition of how I am. I prefer the tender, but I can be as tough as I, as I need to be. Like my mom texted me and she said, uh, I love your podcast you're missing one thing. I was like, what's that? Cause she had to put on a whole nother text and she has, she just wrote women. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been, um, it's been an honor to know your son. I've, he was really helpful for me. Um, I'm still friends with him to this day. I did a lot of IOP with him too. He's a great son. I'm, he's he a really, really neat person. He is. Thank you. I'm glad that you guys experienced that. I, I think amongst you, all the you helped a lot of parents out. Yeah sort of clarifying and absolutely well um, and you know that making them feel a, bit, a little bit better about not being so lost like yeah. or alone yeah. or you alone. know alone, alone especially alone. you know on all angles of it it's hard with the siblings of all the you know the out of balance with everything mm-hmm. the spouse every, it just you're not it, every, you're not alone <laughs> yeah and, and that's so true and and you know that's and I keep kicking it around but you know that's kind of my passion right now is if I can help another parent survive this by being able to share my experiences and like Zach said, to be vulnerable because I don't like to be vulnerable. Who does? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody, but I really don't. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So I appreciate you guys letting me do this because, you know, this is my passion. This is where my, my heart is Incredible. at this point in, 
in my life. So, thank well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. We will. Um, once again, this was Cindy, and she was phenomenal. Fantastic. Uh, cat, uh, yeah. So <laughs> we'll you. catch everybody next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>